1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 20. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us, like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, Listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war, and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, and cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, and vineyards, and olive orchards, and just give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day he will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, No, but we are determined to have a king over us, so that we also may be like the other nations, and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. Have you ever wanted something just because someone else has it? I swear, every time I go to my sister and brother-in-law's house in Texas, I walk away wanting something new. They have the latest gadgets, they have the most stylish clothes, and they have the trendiest like house furnishings from you know couches to pillows to whatever you might have in your house. And I think they are so cool. Now, their coolness resides in more than just their cool stuff, 
I'm sure that somewhere subconsciously even maybe, I equate them with having one thing that they have, or ha me having something that they have would be mean that I am like that, therefore cool, right? I wanna clarify that there's absolutely nothing wrong with what my sister and her family have, nothing wrong with having stuff, but I think what is interesting is my deep internal thought that if I had that thing, there would be value added to my life and happiness. Even when, before I knew of that thing, I was perfectly happy without it. But there is something so insidious about the idea of keeping up with the Joneses, or the Kardashians, or whoever is at the moment exemplifying or being the representative of the social standing and spending habits that you would like to match so that you are cool like them. We're starting a new summer sermon series called Live the Adventure, which brings in a few different threads of our summer life together as a congregation. One of those threads is our Adventures with Jesus that continues for the third year in a row that has just been a fun thing for us to do the last few summers to continue to connect our community even when people are, you know, in vacation far away or maybe at home doing something. Um, and we know that we don't always see everybody every Sunday. It's just a, a fun way for us to see faces and connect. But another thread of this live the adventure theme is following the life of David in 1st and 2nd Samuel over the next few weeks. And really the adventure that we're living or that we're following is the larger adventure of Israel. Or maybe even better yet, the larger adventure of living the human condition. Through um, developing this sermon series, Reverend Jamie Lee and I hope that throughout this summer you will be challenged by these stories, that you'll find yourselves in the midst of these stories, and that you'll remember that God's presence in our lives really does make a difference. At the moment, though, we've not yet met David, but we're setting the stage of the scripture story by hearing that Israel is pretty tired of God's presence in their lives and the fact that God's presence calls them to a different way of living, a way of living that is different than everyone else. Now, up until this point, the basis of the ancient Israelite society, both theologically and politically, has been based on covenant living, covenant with God. You've remembered in other series, we've talked about all the different covenants that God made with Israel through all sorts of different people, Noah and Moses and Abraham. Of course, there have been big leaders like Moses and Abraham, but essentially this covenant living doesn't set up a traditional hierarchical power structure, and it relies on the sovereignty or the reign of God. 
Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't other leaders, right? God has sent judges um, to speak up for God and to lead the people. But it's always been understood that God is the ultimate ruler, the ultimate leader, the ultimate king for the Israelite people. This sovereignty of God set the Israelites apart from other nations, and that was exactly the point. In fact, there's all these laws, right, that govern the lives of the Israelites, and a lot of it has to do with intentionally setting them apart from other people to say that these are the people of God. To have the community of God's people different than others, a people in the world but not of the world, a people that live in a different way, the way that God wants them to live. But at this point in 1 Samuel, the Israelites are sick of it. They see that other people have kings, men that lead with physical might and have armies and show great strength. Israel really thought that Without a king, they looked weak. And the nations with kings, they looked pretty cool. This was especially true with the Philistines knocking at the door as a military threat. The Philistines were strong. They had their minds set on conquering Israel. And Israel was scared. So Israel wanted someone to protect them, to lead them, to centralize their power and make decisions that would bring them to victory, to safety, to certainty. At least in their minds, that would be the automatic outcome of having a king appointed to them. But we hear in our scripture reading today that Brad read so well, I loved the way he read it, You hear in the scripture that Samuel, one of God's judges, who is part judge, part prophet to the Israelites, this request for a king makes Samuel super mad. And he tells them, yeah, I don't think that's such a good idea. You think a king will solve all your problems, but believe me, I've been watching others. If we appoint a king... That means that that one person has all the power. That means he can draft your kids off to his armies. He can take your land and your possessions to bolster his own might. It may look really cool from the outside, but it's not going to be like you think it's going to be. And Israel says, oh, well, maybe you're right. We don't want any of those things, but we really want a king like other nations. Samuel is so upset, and he prays to God, and he shares his frustrations, and says to God, it's like they haven't listened at all to one thing I've said to them in my whole career as a judge and a prophet. And God says, oh, Samuel, this is not a rejection of you or your leadership. It is a rejection of me. Even for all that I have done of the Israelites, for the Israelites, they're still rejecting my leadership. 
So tell them what they want. Give them what they want. And Samuel says, fine, you get exactly what you ask for, a king. And Israel lives happily ever after, right? There's a story of a man who was a pastor in California right at the start of World War III. He had a friend and a neighbor who was of Japanese descent. And that man was taken to an internment camp and his house and business were seized. As a pastor in the community, he might have spoken up and maybe it would have made a difference, but he never said a thing. Instead, he sat back and he let it all happen without a word because the crisis of the war and the popular sentiment were strong and if he were to speak out, it would mark him as different from all others. And for the rest of his life, he lived in great guilt because he had sacrificed his deepest faith commitments and succumbed to the pressure to be like others. There's a price to wanting to be like others and ignoring the convictions of our faith. It's not punishment, really. I mean, God doesn't punish the Israelites. He just kind of lets them suffer what maybe parents would call natural consequences. And it's not really that desire to want what others have. It's wanting that above all else. And it's wanting that in rejection of what God offers. It's not easy, for sure. In one of my early pastoral appointments, we had a gentleman that came to church that was super annoying. He was not dangerous. He was not threatening. He just drove everybody nuts. And in the community, he had already been ostracized from the historical society. The community choir asked him not to return because he just was that annoying. And so after the hundredth time of just kind of irritating someone, the pressure in the church community, the pressure was on our church council to ask this man not to return to worship. And so, one night at our church council meeting, the leadership and I sat around and we discussed it. You know, everyone else has kicked him out. Should we ask him not to come to church anymore? And I remember that being a long conversation. 
with lots of tears of sadness and frustration. But in the end, we decided that as a church, we were called to a different standard than the historical society or the community choir, that we were followers of God's way. And that meant that sometimes we had to suck it up and welcome someone we really didn't want to be around. No one was in danger of anything except annoyance. So we decided to be different than everyone else. And I think that's pretty cool. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.